0: Welcome to another episode of Football Digest. This week, we're talking about Manchester United's latest crisis of their own making, Chelsea's curious week in the transfer market, Erling Haaland, and plenty more after that opening weekend of Premier League action. Joining me, Peter Staunton, and Anita Abiyomi is Aston Villa correspondent, Ashley Priest and the mayor's chief horse rider Andy Dunn. Anita, Man United, talk to me.
1: I'm not going to lie again. I used to say Man United, the whole saga is just so comical to me. I'd sit back, watch it all unfold on TV and just kind of laugh about it and just think better days are coming, it's fine. Light-hearted jokes with my mates about it. But now I'm getting a little bit worried and Andy, we'll start with you because you were actually there at the match. Things seem to be a little bit intense. It's only game one, you know, but losing to Brighton at home in, in that manner... It's just a, it's a bit of a, a tense start for Eric Ten Hag,
2: don't you think? Yeah, yeah, M- more than that, um, Anita. Um, first thing, first things first. You know, and, and we said this on Sunday. We said this in our report on on Monday for, for for the Mirror. You know, you have to give credit to Brighton, who were outstanding. You know, bear in mind they've lost Basuma, they've lost Cucurella, um, and yet they were far more organised, um, far more tactically disciplined. Better passes of the ball thoroughly deserve their win so you know let's get that straight first don't let anything dilute the excellence of brighton and the brilliance of graham potter to be frank you know who's emerging as a real managerial star that typed it i say you could actually do a good job at old trafford but the overarching thing that i took away from old trafford on sunday and and i'll link this now with what's going to happen in the next home game or old trafford was just the the discontent in and around the place. You know, let's, normally you go to a stadium on the opening Day of a season, and there's hope, there's optimism. You know, you've forgotten what's happened the year before, the season before. You've had a decent preseason. You've signed a couple of players, not many in United's case, and you have some sort of belief that had evaporated. I mean, you know, literally within within minutes of the game starting, I'm not even sure it was there when I got to the stadium. The first thing I saw was a police cordon. Now, you don't often see police cones around stadiums nowadays, you know, in this day and age, but there was one. And it was because there was a protest. There was a march from nearby Media City to the stadium. And then the game kicks off. There's protests against the Glazers. End of fans fighting against each other in the stands. You've probably seen those pictures. You know, it, it, it was a completely and utterly joyless experience if you were a Manchester United fan. On top of the fact that you were once again outplayed on the pitch by a team who... Traditionally, you know, you should be beating. And that's no disrespect to Brighton. The fact is they never won an Old Trafford until Sunday. And they won an Old Trafford. And to be fair, they were a little bit unlucky not to win more convincingly. When it was 2-0, they had a Stonewall penalty denied. So everything about it at the moment is, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say toxic, but it's not far off. And obviously now they've got Brentford away on Saturday. And then their next home game is um, Liverpool. And now there's protests being organised, Empty Old Trafford, um, talking of boycotting. If you remember back in May 2021, the behind-closed-doors game got cancelled because of stadium invaders. And just everything about the place at the moment is its just not a happy place. Listen, it's one game. We know it's one game. But we could have predicted that because that's the way United have been playing for a long time. So it was no fluke. It was no surprise that the atmosphere turned toxic. They were jeered from the pitch, the players... And they've got real issues. And you wonder going forward if the only way those issues... Well, the only fundamental way those issues are going to go away is if the Glazers do eventually turn around and say, listen, you know, we think now that are presence as owners is not doing the club any good. Listen, they're going to make millions and... You know, hundreds of millions, if not billions, out of it anyway. So you know, that's not that's not a thing to doing anyone a favor. But they would be if they said, listen. You know, Glazer, Avram Glazer was there on on Sunday. I looked over and he was listening to the you know um, the Glazers out chance. He was sat there with a couple of what looked to me like bodyguards. um, You know, keeping watch over him. That can't be any fun. But don't tell me now. You know, that can be any fun for them. And as I say, they've made plenty of money. They will make plenty of money. And it just feels now, and I think Gary Neville articulated this, it just feels now that it's come to a watershed where actually, you know, who you sell it to, what happens from then on, it's a very complex situation. But underlining it all is that the Glazers' ownership now has become so, um, fans have become so dis- disillusioned with it that it seems like that would be the way long-term for United to change around their fortunes.
1: That's, you actually have a point in there, especially like starting with Brighton. Brighton played so well. I, I thought Brighton would come here, having lost Kukurela, big loss for them. They've sold over 150 million worth of their players this summer as well. And you kind of just think, okay, Man United surely have the upper hand here, but Graham Potter and his men they they went out there, gave it their all, and put on a great performance. And Man United, obviously, Eric Ten Hag, he didn't start Cristiano Ronaldo, and he he kind of started with Christian Eriksen um, as that false nine, kind of being up front there, but it didn't work out. So bringing on Cristiano Ronaldo in the end still didn't help the matter. And then we get the news that they that Man United are in for Unaltrovic um, from Bologna, and you kind of you kind of think is. Is Man United in a kind of state of going out for panic buys? Would it would this have been the right move for Man United to make? Do they actually need to go out there and look for a striker? It looks like they're in for Morata as well at the moment. What do you, what do you think, Andy?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, they clearly need reinforcements. This for for me, they need they need reinforcements pretty much all over the park. There's there's absolutely no question they need striking reinforcements. I mean, I mean, that's without a doubt. If they're going to sort the Ronaldo situation out, and if Eric Ten Hag has got anything about him, then 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 he'll he'll get rid of Ronaldo. He'll say to Ronaldo right, you can go and, and he'll say to Richard Arnold, do what is needed to get Ronaldo out of the camp. He's not going to be a good influence. Um, he wasn't particularly an influence when he came onto the pitch on on, on Sunday evening though. They did actually get back into the game at that stage. So that's it. So they need striking reinforcements. Marcus Rashford looks like, you know, his his touch and his finishing prowess have gone into long-term hiding. He doesn't look like he's going to be scoring goals. They need um, striking reinforcements. Most of all, though, they need they they need an influential player who they hoped was going to be Frankie De Jong, who it looks like it's not going to be. It might be Rabiot now. They need an influential player in the middle of the park. You cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect results to pick up. You cannot persist with Fred and McTominay. You know they're 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 hardworking guys. Um, I, I really I like the idea that McTominay comes through the ranks. I think the Fred. You know, you can't fault his work ethic, but those two there, the hub of midfield, it's just not gonna it's just it's just not going to work. Never mind against the elite clubs in this division, but against again with all respect against Brighton. So they need, yes, they 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 need a big, big couple of weeks to end the transfer window. There's no doubt about it. But under this current regime and his current recruitment departments, they're showing no signs of being able to do that. How long have they had to get Frankie de Jong over the line? You know, it it, it has become you know, an embarrassment. We've seen it before. We've seen them do this before. You know, we've seen them going way back. I think was it was it in the Moyes here when they were trying to get Fabregas. You know, and, and these things go on and on and on. And then we'll see someone, and then and then they'll sign the equivalent to Mario and Fellaini as they did on the last day of the transfer window. This is what's going to happen. You know, you will you, you you will have these buys, and in the meanwhile, they'll they'll look around and they'll see Darwin Nunes scoring for Liverpool on the opening day. They'll see Alan Harlan Running riot for Manchester City on the opening day, players that were signed. You know, I mean, it seems like an age ago. I mean, when the players were signed, and that's what comes back. And that what comes back to my point, it's the very upper echelons of the club that are failing, um, the, the the team on the pitch. Basically, i not failing the fans.
0: I'd have to say, I mean, if Adrian Rabiot is the answer, I'm I'm wondering what the question is at this stage, you know. And even so, you know, you have your targets identified so far in advance that it, you know you shouldn't be scrambling around in the sort of going into this third week of August looking for a decent midfield player. I just think it's crazy. Um, before we spend too much time on Man United, I want to bring Ashley in because he's been sort of nodding his head at the at the crisis talk in the background of Man United. I want to get into Villa a little bit. Obviously, Gerard had that new manager bounce when he got their first. Uh, much like Frank Lampard had at Chelsea, you would say, uh, when he went there in, in the first place. And then we've got Gerrard and Lampard, two of England's all-time great midfielders, yada, 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 facing each other uh, this weekend. Neither of whom, you would say, are making waves right now uh, in either of their managerial careers. Is that, would that be fair to say from Villa's perspective about Jared at the minute, Ashley?
3: I think it would be yeah, totally fair. He, he stretched back to last season. He's two wins in twelve for Gerard He'd be looking at that. I know it's a new season, but that's what ultimately cost Dean Smith his job. Villa, Villa looked at Dean Smith based on the calendar year. So yeah, very inconsistent from Villa uh, under Gerard. He won he won the first four out of six games back in November, and only lost narrowly to Liverpool and Man City. Thinking, okay, he's kicking on now. He's he's um. He's kicked Villa into new gear out, looked really good. And then he started to lose against your Watfords last season. And after the back of a pretty successful pre-season, we're going into the new season full of hope again. And then he got a coin fixture on the opening day, Bournemouth. Many picks for them to go down and, and not put up a fight. But yeah, we got, Villa got bullied from minute one last week and a bit of a rude awakening. And there's a bit of panic now amongst the, the fan base, Peter. Um i lose to Everton at the weekend, <laughs> you start to panic a little, a little bit more as well. These are going, Villa should be winning with the amount of investment they've had. I think Gerard's had £77 million, close to £80 million he spent. He's been backed well in the transfer window. Unlike Manchester United, as Andy said, Villa got their business done early. They got Diego Carlos in June the 1st. They got Kamara in a day after last season finished. Two players who had Champions League clubs after them. But Gerrard's got a big pull when he speaks to players in uh, face-to-face, so no excuses now. Villa are in the market for number eight, but yeah, the squad's there to really kick on. It should be a top half finish minimum. So last week was a, a bit of a bit of a wake up call, and they applied to Bournemouth, the, the bullied Villa from minute one.
0: As you said, he's had he's had that back into the transfer market. He obviously had that bounce where, he, as you said, he won uh, four games out of six. He's got his players in the ones that he's wanted. Presumably, they're playing in a way that Jared wants them to play as well. So, what do you put it down to? This sort of, um, I don't know, maybe lack of identity. And you mentioned a lack of—they got bullied last week against against Bournemouth. How was a team coached by Stephen Jared, who's a hard man as a player? how is a team like his getting bullied?
3: Yeah, very Jared's very, very strict. I can't put a finger on it really. Jared, be asking questions this week. What went on there? Um, <laughs> Yeah, Gerard seems to have a way of playing. Last week it was 4-3-3. He looks a fit between two systems, the other one being 4-3-2-1 with Coutinho. Big, Coutinho is a big side at Villa. Obviously Gerard brought him in in the summer. And um, yeah, Coutinho hasn't been firing either. He, he, he was poor last week. So just the players that haven't stepped up. And given Gerard standards, he's very frustrated at the moment, the head coaches. So he needs to get answers uh, this weekend, early kick-off against Everton. A lot of expectation, you know. Sell it as a full house down at Villa Park, and they want to see something now, especially for the back of last week. So, yeah, I think the players let him down last week. Gerard was really frustrated. I think I think Bournemouth did a number on him. Simple as that. And I think like Andy said we brought him. Uh, Manu, Bournemouth did a yeah. number
0: on that. Sorry, actually, you said it's two wins in twelve, stretching back to last season. Is there this may be slightly premature? But has there been grumblings from the fans about Gerard's position? Maybe. Uh, from the owners, or is he as secure as he can ever be in a job, in a Premier League job?
3: Yeah, secure as he can ever be in a Premier League job. It's the new season. But um, we finished 14th last season, Peter. That's not good for a club like Villa with the investment they've had. I think the owners have spent £400 million on new players since they come in in 2018. And they've invested every single summer. And we need to start to seeing a return now. So, like these finished final last season, 11th. And then last season with the managerial change, 14th. Gerrard did, did challenge his players. Can we finish in the top half? But they the petered out in the end of last season. And that that a bit of inconsistency. The, the defeats have crept into this season now as well, given the manner of the Bournemouth defeat. So, no, not under, under massive amounts of pressure. But you need to win games. You need to win football matches. And losing again the weekend. we got, we got three games coming up against West Ham, Arsenal and Man City. So, we, we didn't beat last season. Never looked close to beating last season. So, it's a telling month, as it is for a lot of Premier League
1: managers. Um, So we'll see on that one. Yeah, we will. It's so so funny because I feel like the first month and there there are actual fan bases out there who are panicking with their managers. But Aston Villa, I feel like with Steven Gerrard, fans are probably really calm at the moment, just like, you know what, month one, Let's go into the next one, see how it's going. But we'll probably reconvene in a couple months' time and hopefully Villa would be having, having some wins under their belt. But if not, it would be a question to ask if Stephen Gerald will make it through to, to the end of the season. Because Villa have been really um, I want to say cutthroat with with what they are hoping to achieve in the yep. future. And my my question to you, Ashley, like I want to be cheeky here, sorry, Peter, but what is your what is the realistic expectation for Villa this season, do you think? There's
3: a lot of talk from the chief executive, Christian Perslow, European football this, European football that, in the player interviews, European football. And um, it's beginning to fall on deaf ears. Now you need to back it up on the pitch, don't you? And Villa haven't done that for a while now. So they've had a good summer. Gerard's been back with the acquisitions he's had. There's more business to do. And it's kick on time now, Manita. They really need to start showing something. This season, for me, top half finish is minimum. And Gerard's placed a big emphasis on the cup competitions as well. He wants to go deep in both cups which the fans love, love to hear about as well. So it's got to be top half finish minimum. And um, we need to bridge that gap between those who are in the top seven, eight as well.
1: I love that. Top half finish minimum, go big in the cups minimum. <laughs> I absolutely respect that. I think it's definitely doable, especially with Aston Villa's side at the moment and the new signing as well. Diego Carlos, Kamara coming in in midfield also. I think that's definitely a realistic expectation for Aston Villa and Moving on to to Manchester City, who have kind of stolen my heart this weekend because I really thought How are Man City going to do it without Raheem Sterling? Maybe they'll need him to come on or something like that, you know. But they just seemed absolutely fine without him there, with Erling Haaland up in front as well, getting those two goals over the weekend. Andy, I'll bring you in here. Should should everyone be scared with Erling Haaland coming into this Man City team? Is this something that the Chelsea's, the Arsenal, the Liverpool's, Man United should look at and think, oh my God, they're probably going to do something fantastic here?
2: Yeah, but yes, they should. I mean, it was it was a great debut and he's a great player. And it's 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 obvious what he'll bring to Manchester City and bring to the Premier League. But let's face it, you know, they've been scoring the best parts of 100 goals pretty much every season under Pep Guardiola. So it's not like, you know, they're all of a sudden going to score 130 or 140. This is what they do. They tend to average round about, you know, two and a half, three goals a game. You know, it's, it's phenomenal. It's pheno- It was phenomenal without Haaland. It'll be just as phenomenal. They'll probably just score goals in a different way. And I think that's what you saw on Sunday. You know, they changed the way they played as we thought they would have to to suit Haaland. You know, and they'll score goals in a different manner. How many times did you watch City or oh, have you watched City over the last few years under Pep? And how many goals have they scored where they get the ball to the byline. line? They basically have a lot of quick passes, get the ball to the byline line and pull it across, and there's there's someone converting from a ball that's played across how many times Raheem Sterling. I mean, you, I mean, remember the assists, I mean, the goals against um, against Aston Villa in, in, in that memorable game, you know, came via that sort of move. What you saw on Sunday was two goals that came via a more simple pass in behind the central defenders. Holland running on to the first one to win the penalty. Holland running on to the second one to score with his first touch. A ball from De Bruyne now teams will have to i mean clearly teams will have to try and wise up to that so how how do you how do you prevent that i i, I guess center harris will drop deeper you know certainly deeper than they were when when uh, Haaland went beyond them for that second goal but it's hard to actually defend against someone who's that quick that strong and hard to defend against players like de bruyne and gundogan for example who put the ball i think through for the penalty shout um, hard to defend against that type of ball so in answer to your question is it, is it yes they should be scared um, but scared of a different type of threat than they've had from City in the past so that's another string to City's bow um, again it's a little bit early to, to, to really judge, you know, there's a lot of talk how he's going to score X amount of goals well, he might well do but let's see, there's other things that can come into it he has had injuries in his career so in his short career, so let's wait and see and also I'm quite fascinated by by these stories about Bernardo Silva, which which have taken my eye. This this will not go away, the idea that he's going to go. And, you know, I, I find it... Well, it was around this time last year. This time last year, you know, we all assumed or we were all being told the whispers around here in Manchester where they, that he was off. He, he didn't, he stayed, and he had a fantastic season. Arguably City's best player last season. Listen, he's been arguably City's... He's certainly been amongst their best players since he was since he came to the club. He's outstanding. He's a magnificent player. But he didn't start on Sunday, came on late on. And I just think if they lost him, and bear in mind they have lost, you know, Sterling as well. I just think that might. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say it's going to leave them short because they've got Foden, they've got Grealish, they've got De Bruyne, they've got Gundogan in midfield. Um, but I still think that might be significant if, and by the sound of it, I think he maybe does want to go, he goes. But, you know they can they're such a good squad that they can lose Inchenko Jesus Sterling possibly Bernardo Silva and still be an even more potent threat and don't forget you know Julian Alvarez came on as well and I think you'll find that that, that when he's filling in for Haaland he'll be equally as effective so yes I'm sure they'll be scared but it's a familiar feeling being scared of Man City isn't it
0: Actually, um villa have had a a little bit of dealings with barcelona obviously this is where where bernardo silva is is mooted to be going uh picking up um coutinho obviously as they did over the course of the summer what a strange situation that's going on over there at barcelona you probably did them a favor this summer by giving them a shed load of money for for coutinho what must the rest of the clubs around europe be thinking when they're when they're looking at this situation here
3: just how are they managing to do what they're doing really um more question, more questions than answers, isn't it? Really, how how they manage to to get past this loophole they're doing with, with the money that they're spending. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know, but they're doing what they're doing and they're getting away with it. So, yeah, it's I don't know how they're managing it really, but they are and
0: they're, they're carrying on. We saw we saw this week in Egypt. I'll come to you here. We saw this week. um the fans outside the training ground at Barcelona shouting uh, lower your salary uh, at Frankie de Jong uh, as he's driving into training. And they can't register their players. Obviously, they still have players like Lewandowski, uh, Christensen and Kessie, who, who, who look like uh, they could even be off before they've played a first-team game. And... Um, Frankie de Jong patently doesn't want to go to Man United and hook up with his ex-manager uh, Eric Hag because if he did want to go he'd probably have gone by now uh, I mean the willingness is there from Barcelona from Man United to make the deal happen but for whatever reason he's just not fancying it that has opened the door for your beloved Stamford Bridge Blues to uh, to maybe seal a march on on Man United now we don't currently have the indications of whether De Jong is any more receptive towards a move to Chelsea. He probably would be. They're playing in the Champions League, that he would be to Man United. But what kind of signing do you think he could make for, for Chelsea? Is he what you need? I know that um, Jorginho scored last week, but he's not really a, been a favourite for the Chelsea fans over the, over the years that he's been there. But can you sum it all up for us, this uh, Frankie De Jong talk for, uh, to Chelsea?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, before before I sum it all up for you, Peter, I, I, this is a message to Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, please do not mess up my fantasy this year. Not another year, because I did have Bernardo in my fantasy. I thought it was going to start. He didn't start. So, Pep Guardiola, I speak on behalf of a lot of fantasy players. Do not mess this up for me. Thank you. But. With regards to Chelsea and that Frankie de Jong statement, I do feel like Frankie de Jong would bring something, just something different to what all our midfielders have. I think he's probably a little bit more similar to Mateo Kovacic, but not exactly the same. Um, You said Jorginho not really being um, that much of a favourite for Chelsea, but Jorginho is one of my favourite midfielders because he's just... He's a unique product for Chelsea. He, you can't really find him in you know different teams. What he brings to Chelsea is something so unique, so particular to him. And that's why I, w- I would like to still see him at Chelsea, still see him produce more at Chelsea as well. And there are talks of him potentially signing a new contract. So where does that leave N'Golo Kante? Where does that leave Ross Barkley? Where does that leave Ruvin Loftus-Cheek? There are so many things for Chelsea to kind of, unpack before they go in for De Jong because there's going to be a lot of unhappy faces. There's going to be some wages on the bill that they'll need to get rid of. And it's all about sorting that out first. I am happy that we are linked to a player like De Jong. Like I said, he will bring something different and he will be that midfielder that can probably ping those passes that we see the Bruyne ping because no one in our midfield is doing that at the moment and it is really irritating but he can probably be the person to ping those passes into the final third progress the ball much quicker from, the, from deeper positions into attacking positions you know but again sort out what we have at the moment figure out what everyone's doing figure out where people are going there are still so many people on our roster in that midfield that we need to keep happy or sell off you know so Let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. If we do get De Jong before we sort this out, that's another problem for Tuchel to deal with. And I'm sure he's tired of having problems.
0: The, the new owner is just, he's loving throwing cash around. He's got Chilwell and Alonso and he just spends, you know, 65 odd million on a new left back just for the hell of it. Um, up front for Chelsea, Andy, I want to you bring you back in there. Timo Werner, uh, he departs a Champions League winner, a world champion, uh, club world champion, of course. Um, he's sort of d- seen and done it all with Chelsea, but. How would you categorise him? How would you categorise his spell at Chelsea? He's gone back to Leipzig for less money yeah. than he signed for Chelsea. Um, Expensive flop? <laughs> yeah,
2: you, do, do, you know what, do you know how, how, how I would categorise Timo Werner's spell at Chelsea in one word, one word only, offside? The, 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 his, he, he was born offside, this guy. I mean... Uh, Listen, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I really, really, really like him. I like him a lot, Timo Werner. I, I, I like his attitude. There's a player in there somewhere in terms of, you know, he, he's got great pace. His attitude is first class. Um, yeah, listen, he scored, he scored goals in the Bundesliga before he came here. And I kept thinking, I just kept thinking, he'll click. He will click, you know, because he's, got, he's, got a, he's, he's getting chances in a good team. He's making some chances, making some good runs, and he will just click. And it just didn't. And in and in a way, it was sort of sort of self perpetuating. The longer it went on, the more he sort of a little bit became a, a little bit of a caricature of himself. You know, you expected the misses. What well. what way was he going to dream up to miss the next chance? I felt really sorry for him. I'll tell you what, though, I don't think his attitude could ever be questioned. I think he wanted to make a success of it. He looked to be have a good a good way about him around the camp. And I suspect he goes with everyone's, you know, best wishes from Chelsea. It's just one of those, just just didn't work out. Simple as that. Just did not work out. It'll work out somewhere else. And I think good luck to him. But yeah, he, he, he I, I think he goes with. Listen, I don't know, Anita can probably tell me, but I don't think Chelsea fans hold any resentment towards Werner and that it didn't work out.
1: Yeah, no, we don't. We don't. It's actually quite funny because every time I'm at Stamford Bridge, we are singing his name. And that's why he he left with that, that really nice message to the Chelsea fans saying we always support him through the good and the challenging times, you know, because we, we also thought that it would click at one point. And I still believe that if we had the right personnel in midfield, it could have clicked just someone to pick out his runs because he is making the runs. But, you know, like you said, Andy, sometimes he does live offside and then, you know, there's no confidence to make those passes to him for him to make those runs. So it is bittersweet, but it is what it is. He'll do fine again back at Leipzig. He was a 30 plus, a 30 goals a season um, striker at Leipzig. He can probably replicate that again.
0: I just wonder if, if Leipzig are in the mind to to sell Nkunku now that, that he's back there because he's he's filling in up front since, since Werner's gone. But 100 million?
1: 100 million for no, Nkunku. Well, it, does, it doesn't matter
0: to Chelsea, does it? They spend 100 million on Lukaku and then they just say, go back to Inter. Uh, they spend 50 odd million for this guy Werner and they just say, hey, go back to Leipzig. Your most expensive loan deals in history uh, Chelsea are conducting. Anyway, Anita, I want to ask you about another player that Chelsea have been linked to. Um... Wesley Fofana so he missed a lot of football for Leicester because of he had a really bad injury uh, in pre-season I think uh, a couple of seasons ago uh, he's back in the team now is he the type of player that, that you think could improve what Chelsea have? I mean they, they're obviously missing Rudiger they're missing Christensen Asper a stayed in the end uh, short at centre-backs they've let Malang Sar go on loan this week to Monaco probably on a permanent deal next summer you think Wesley Fofana is the player they've been missing? <sighs>
1: OK, I think Wesley Fofana is a sensational defender. I, I was actually one of his biggest fans, especially when he moved to Leicester. And obviously the injury didn't help because he was out for a very long time. But at the same time, if we're interested in Wesley Fofana, I, I just don't see the reason why we got rid of a centre-back with the quality of Levi Cowell. You know, it's always going to raise questions as why are you trading a young centre-back that's, you know, one of our own homegrown talents for another young centre-back who's coming back off a really bad injury? You know, there's always going to be that plane in the back of my mind. Do I think that Profana will come to Chelsea and stay fit and be a very good player for Chelsea? Yes, but will he stay fit? The injury that he had, I can't remember the exact injury, but it, it was a really bad injury and it could cop it could crop up again and it could cause some serious problems going through the season. Is that something we want to rely upon? I don't know, but hopefully it does work out, especially if Chelsea do get him, but £80 million I think is the asking price right now. Like you said, Chelsea are throwing money about. They need to be very careful because I don't know how much De Jong's going to cost if they want to go in for De Jong. And then there is was talk of us wanting to buy um, pierre Rick Obamiang as well all these new faces into this Chelsea team, is it going to solve the problems that we are having currently? You know, it's 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 a tricky one. There's just too much in the air for me to be so certain about Fofana when we could have just kept Levi Cowell in the mix. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I wanted to come to you on, um, on Fofana's current club. Uh, Leicester obviously champions uh, 2016 most of that team is departed now including Kasper Schmeichel this summer Vardy obviously endures for another season at least but did it, I think they're the only club in the top five leagues in Europe who haven't yet signed a permanent transfer this summer I may be wrong in that but I think I read that over the weekend and Madison linked with an exit to Newcastle and, and elsewhere Fofana linked with an exit Are things going a bit stale at Leicester, do you think? Uh, Can they go... I I would categorise them in that sort of villa bracket where they could be knocking on the door of the top six if they they play their cards right. They're obviously very, very close to the Champions League for a couple of seasons as well. But can they climb any higher, do you think? Or are they going to sort of drop back into sort of a a Premier League club that finishes between sort of 10th and 16th at this stage?
3: At this stage, yeah, they're probably stagnating a little bit. But got a good manager, Peter Brendan Rogers. He runs a tight ship there. The recruitment model's very good. The put players from France and abroad very well. And I think it's a settled ship there. And like you say, no investment. I think it's Smithy's is a backup goalkeeper this week. But um the last, last player, the last Schmeichel, influence in the dressing room, Schmeichel. So that could be a big loss. But yeah, um <laughs> unsteady times there at the moment. But with, with, with Brendan in charge, I think... I think Leicester fans are happy with that at the moment and okay, Fafana leaves and you start questioning where's this investment going, so yeah, as things stands I think it's, I think Roger's running the Todd ship there, they've got personnel, Madison's a player in form, he's continuing that, he's got the character of the World Cup to go for um, and they've got good players there Dakar's a good player, a right team um, Tillemans, that, that, that contact saga's rolling on, well like I say I think personnel, a lot of Jusby Hall as well, good player so I, th- I think the recruitment there is very good, good manager, decent players. Okay, they need more investment. I think the Leicester fans will be the first to tell you that. But at the moment, I think it's a happy camp, and, and long may that continue. So there's two more, a little over two more weeks of the window left. I'm sure Leicester will be busy in that time to, to beef out their squad a little bit. But but yeah, I don't, no European football for them this season. Um, so we'll see.
1: I'm, I'm actually quite worried for Leicester. I won't lie to you. I'm- <laughs> But it, this was me last season. I'm just a bit of a pessimist. I really do like Leicester. Leicester gave me probably one of the best years of my life when they won the Premier League, and ever since then, I've just always had a soft spot for them. Hopefully, um, Rodgers can kind of turn things around because I'm just a bit, a little bit apprehensive, a little bit worried for them. But moving, moving on to Liverpool, um, Andy, I'll come to you again. Like, do you know what? What you did with Brighton was right. Fulham played absolutely amazingly against Liverpool. I, I I don't know what I expected, but for Fulham to come out and press Liverpool the way that they did over the weekend, I, I felt kind of blindsided. I thought, wow, I never expected this to actually happen. And they actually pulled it off. So Andy, what what were your kind of takes from that match?
2: I saw so I, I... I need to. They're the Fulham. Fulham played extremely well. I like the manager. Um, I've always liked him. I thought it was unfortunate a little bit that it didn't quite go his way. Um, at Everton, um, it was unfortunate the way he left Watford, to be honest. But then again, you know, it was a bit of a, a bit of a learning curve for him in his previous jobs, and I think I think he's brought a Fulham up that are far better equipped um, to make a fist in the Premier League than they were last time they were promoted. So, so yeah, they they, they played well, and you know Mitrovic. In a way, it was a blip when he didn't really score, when it didn't come off for him in the Premier League last time. I suspect it might well do this time, and judging by Saturday's evidence, albeit limited evidence, it probably will. However, I did think Liverpool looked a little bit undercooked. I really did. Um, I I thought that um, Salah, I thought, was, you know, I mean, scored his usual opening day goal, but looked a little bit, not off the pace, but just a little bit fine in his feet for the season. I thought they just looked a little bit off in defensively as well you know it's not it's not often you're going to see um, Van Dijk looking so um, troubled as he did during that game and you're always going to have this issue it's 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 the I wouldn't say perennial because it's the weekly debate it is whether you know for everything that Alexander Arnold brings going forward he can be vulnerable um defensively. So I do think there are issues there for Liverpool, you know, for Klopp. I do think they just looked, and listen, a lot of teams will look a little bit undercooked because pre-season was short, kickoff was early. Teams like Liverpool had a lot of involvement in, in, in international football, so they might do. But with Thiago's injury now as well, you know, I just suspect that they just might be a little bit more vulnerable than teams such as... City and Spurs who look a bit more on it at the moment. Nothing to get overly concerned about, nothing at all. And it might be, it might be even though, you know, it looked like Liverpool had done all their business early with Darwin Nunes, with obviously Carvalho, was, who was signed before the start of the season. Um, and he signed Patterson, you know, Ramsey. Um, I think that, um, I think you might see a little bit more business from Liverpool now on the back, not just of that Fulham game, but just on the back of, Thiago's injury. Then maybe they'll get some business done between now and, and the window, just to freshen that midfield up. Because what was also notable about Liverpool's team on Saturday was that I think, off the top of my head, I think there was probably maybe half a dozen players who were thirty or over. You know. Now, listen, thirty is the new well, thirty is the new twenty it, 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 in football terms nowadays. You remember the days when we used to when a player turned thirty and we'd be you'd start preparing his like, you know, his his career wrap-up, wouldn't you? you? know, they were getting a week's contract if they were lucky nowadays, you know, 30 year olds all across Europe. Lawandowski, Benzema last night scored, you know, again for Real Madrid. He's he's 36, 37, Ronaldo, of course, 37. And these players go on. However, however, if you've got over half of your outfield players over 30, then I do think that the pace of playing in Premier League, that might be an issue going forward. Um, but listen, he's got young players he can bring in Harvey Elliott Carvalho um, Carvalho was signed from Fulham they've got young players to come main Curtis Jones can come in um, but I just think there's one or two things that Klopp unless he didn't hide away from me, he said it was a poor performance I admire him for that he said listen a point was the maximum that we deserved but you know what though just one final thing on Liverpool and this applies to City as well the pressure goes on early because because these two teams have set point totals They've set new benchmarks for for title winning points tallies that are incredible. You know, 90 odd points is the norm. You know, I'm older than all you guys in. I and I remember I remember the times when when you know mid eighties, you know, was competitive. It's no longer that. No longer that. So 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 it, as bizarre as it seems, and we all laugh, don't we, about publishing tables after one game, but you know, Liverpool will be thinking we're two points behind City. How long does it take us to gain two points on whether? You know that that season when they were just these are teams that these are teams that drop points four or five, six or seven times in a season. They lose one or two games, they draw three or four games. So even now the pressure is now on. Imagine if City, as you would expect them to do, take care of Bournemouth at the Etihad on Saturday. Liverpool are going into Monday night's game against Palace five points behind Manchester City, and they'll and, and they'll be feeling. Listen, you know. This isn't a gimme. And this is what they've done to... The standards they've set between each other, that's the pressure that will now be on them. So Klopp will have one or two things to think about. He'll be a little bit nervous about Monday nights. You know, they really, really need... And Palace will be no pushovers, even though, you know, Arsenal turned them over. Palace will be no pushovers either. I
1: find it so funny when you said 30 is the new 20. If I'm that <laughs> active when I'm 30, I hope to What's be happening? as <laughs> as calm it's as TR. It's true. Honestly, it's, it's
2: so true. Most Mo Salah was getting a three. You know, Mo Salah's got his, his new three-year deal. Um, you know, and players are signing now long-term deals because they, well, they it stands to reason. They just take care of themselves better, don't they?
1: Yeah, facts. Absolute facts. And you spoke about um, 80, for eighty, mid eighty points. You back in the day you used to be you used to be fine. Like you used to be calm. I remember um, speaking to my younger cousin. She, she, He's about 13 and I was talking to him about the invincible side. He's He goes, they couldn't have been that great. Man City got 99 points. Why didn't they get that many? I'm just like, oh my God. You know, this is it's crazy at the moment. The standard set is absolutely insane. But speaking of um the 30 plus players, like you said, Thiago's got an injury. Van Dijk, I don't think Van Dijk has lost any quality, but he is another one of those 30-plus players. And is this something that Liverpool should be worried about? I know you said 30 is a new 20, but realistically, should Liverpool be going into the transfer window thinking, we need a new midfielder to cover for Thiago, we need a new defender to cover for someone like Van Dijk, just in case?
2: Well, they've got young defenders and they've got young midfielders to come in. As I say, Harvey Elliott... um... Um, I think the if he came on on Saturday, didn't if, if I remember rightly, um, obviously you know had very highly rated there. As I say, Fabio Carvalho can 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 come in, um, and they and, and they do they do have backup. They've got plenty of backup. Um, I just think that it's it's and you know listen, City isn't isn't an overly overly young team either. So I wouldn't worry too much. I just think if you have players, you know bear in mind this the. the in a World Cup year as well, the burden on players such as um, Van Dijk, you know, such as probably Henderson, although I'm not entirely sure how major a role he'll play in England's World Cup campaign, you know, they're, they're, they're quite onerous. I mean, it won't be on Salah because he's not going, which will be, which will probably be, in a way, work out, work out well for Liverpool that, he, that he's, he's not going to be there. Well, I just think Klopp will have to rotate his squad, and he will rotate his squad, you know, and I think he has got the the... The resources to do it. Don't forget, you know, he can. You know, Diaz is a young player, Nunez is a young player, so he has got plenty. But it's just something that'll be in the back of his mind, I think, to try and get the balance right. Mm-hmm.
0: I think I'm looking at some of the great teams over the years. Uh, Ferguson's uh, Man United, Bayern have always been really good at this as well. It's like they know when their success is peaking, and. I thought that Klopp was getting towards it when he got rid of Mane, which is like, you know, the right time to go because you don't want a team to grow all together. Um, and I just think that maybe, you know, you mentioned the likes of Alison, Fabinho, Van Dijk, Thiago, Salah, Mane, who was there, uh, Firmino, uh, Henderson, all those guys are are in danger, I think, of growing all together. So for yeah. me, it'll be interesting to see uh, it will. what they end up doing.
2: And I just, um, and, and, sorry, Peter. If I just mention one thing on that. I just think age is an issue, yes, and I do think that, that that's an issue about growing old together. I just think as well, just very briefly. I just think sometimes it, it 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 just helps to refresh it, doesn't it? It just helps to refresh. I mean, that's what that's what, in a way, Guardiola does, like you know, by bringing in, you know, Calvin Phillips, for example, you know, and and Harland, and the, you know, it, it just freshens things up. And I think you know, you know, people get. You know, people get and just get too familiar with each other, and maybe get into a little bit of a rut where they just think, you know, this is automatically going to happen, and now it won't. You know? And now he's freshen up with Nunes Diaz, and 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 it just changes things around a bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, probably getting sick of Mohamed Salah not passing the ball to them. Maybe that, that's that's the issue. Um, I want to go. I want to go across town. Uh, I'm going to bring Ashley back in here because obviously it's the Gerrard Lampard Derby this weekend. Um, I presume you've done your research on Everton uh, ahead of the weekend, Ashley. Uh, you've done your homework. They were defeated by Chelsea last week, uh, only by a penalty kick, and obviously suffered that bad injury to to Godfrey as well. Despite that defeat, there's been, I would say, maybe certainly renewed optimism around Everton this week. Uh, the, the new signing that they brought in, the Belgian midfield player, Onana, I'll tell you, on the continent, this guy is unbelievably highly rated. Like, they're talking about this fella in the same breath as the potential to be somebody as good as Paul Pogba was when he, when he first emerged at Juventus. I think they've actually got a great deal here. I think Onana is going to end up being in the Belgium team uh, by the time the World Cup rolls around he's a fantastic player he can be anything box to box he can sit uh, he can create link to play break up the play I love him I loved watching him for Lille last season I think he's a fantastic player um, not to put Ville under too much pressure for this weekend I think Everton have done really well to get him in uh, and also they brought in Connor Cody who a really experienced Premier League centre back but he's a middle of a three centre back really he's not going to play in a partnership I don't think so maybe there's a hint there that Lampard might might change things up and switch to uh, a back three on a full time basis. I know he's played with Seamus Coleman as a right side of centre back on occasion as well. But I think we'll end up playing with a a back three on a more consistent basis. What do you think of Everton, Ashley? What's gone on this week? What's gone on over the course of the preseason? You know the underwhelming silence that they've made over the course of the last few years. My God, the money that they've wasted. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how Villa are approaching this one for the weekend.
3: Well, I I think the fans are back in Lampard. He's seen that last season, back in the last season. They're right behind him. Um, That's what you need, fan support right there. And this week has boosted that. Anana, I've seen Roberto Martinez said he's one of the most exciting prospects in Europe. Connor Cody, fantastic for the dressing room, if anything else. You need these characters in and around it. Jan Tarkowski, very similar. Um, So he's building a good core of players there. Um, So, yeah, the fans are right behind the manager them at the moment, it's a bit mixed bag at the moment, given the signals that've been out from the board, European football and whatnot. And as Andy said about not changing the guard almost at Liverpool, but at Villa, you see Toro Mings now. He's not, not he, he's not on the first name of the team sheet A lot's happening there, so Villa are evolving in that way as well. So, so yeah, a um, bit of a transition period for Villa this summer. Like the, the, the favourites under Dean Smith previously, they're not favourites anymore. Hence, Toro Mings not being involved last week, which is. A funny thing that's played out there with, with Gerard's comments afterwards. Look me in the eye, tell me when you're ready, kind of thing. And he changed the captaincy there, Gerard as well, which is very interesting. Week before the season, changing the captaincy. I don't know why why he didn't do that at the start. Of, start pre season. He nips it in the bud. Then, so if you you lose on the opening day, you don't play mings. Everyone's thinking. What's going on now? Has there been a four lights? But I've been told there hasn't been a four lights. It's just people look. People just look for a, a scapegoat or reasons to have a bit of a pop. So, yeah, a bit of a change at the end of this season, like I've said. And interesting game on Saturday. Huge game uh, in the grand scheme of things. I know. I know we're only two games into this one, but Everton. Are a lot of people's picks to, to struggle again. And. Lampard, I think Lampard will build that us-against-them mentality again, try and, and galvanise them that way. He's got some good leaders in that dressing room. Um, and yeah, Villa needed a result, Peter. Really needed a result.
0: Yeah, I was going to just... I was going, sorry, Andy, I was just going to mention the main thing uh, again uh, with Ashley. You know, this is a player left-sided centre-back. I remember him being linked with Man City a few years ago because Guardiola loves that left-sided centre-back. Uh, he's obviously been in the England reckoning I've uh, been in and around the England squad for a long time. I think from the outside, a lot of people, fans of other clubs, might look at that situation and think Mings would start every week for my club, uh, whereas Jared has him on the books. And um, you know, he's setting new challenges to try and get back into the team um, on merit. do You think Mings is in Villa's best eleven at the minute?
3: Um, yeah, I made far too mistakes last season. Um, if you if you ask me now, I'm the fan base off the back of the Bournemouth defeat. Everyone's saying, "Well, was not Mings? There, he's a leader. They scored off two set pieces." Mings, win of, Mings wins a lot of first contacts, and we missed a leader on the pitch, which was the case. And he, he, that was Gerard's because he's not to blame Mings on that day. His comments afterwards, for me, I think, I think, he'd be blown out of proportion. If you're not 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 aware of what he said, he said Tyrone needs to look me in the eye and, and tell me he's ready to play. He come off the back; it was quite damning. There's no filter with Gerard. He, he says how he is. He's very 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 forward. You know he speaks. To you, which I, I quite like. Um, doesn't mince his words but I think Mings has had a confidence hit Peter Gerard has spoken to him in being quiet around the changing room obviously he was last season's captain for a year he's had his band stripped of it he has and he said he's, he's, he's raw at the moment he's disappointed and much more quieter so it's upset the dynamics in the dressing room you'll have, have players siding with Tyrone and I mean, his mates and I can't believe what's happened to him and all this and you'll have the, the new guard who, who are right beyond McGinn and and that side, so there's a lot of dynamics happening in the dressing room at the moment, and we'll soon see, see what plays out. I think it, I think Gerard needs to really galvanise the group. Get up to a win on Saturday, Peter. All's forgotten. You're rocking and rolling again, and the mood lifts instantly. So, yeah, it's an interesting time with Villa in and around the corridors at Bottom Marith, to say the least, as well.
0: Andy,
2: what were you going to? You were going to jump in on Gerard and Ming's there. Is that I- right? Well, no, no, a couple of things. Well, I was going to jump in on Everton. I mean, it's interesting, and, and also, you know, it doesn't seem that, just just quickly. Actually, it doesn't seem. that It looks like Ollie Watkins might have a, a little bit of a battle to make to make himself an automatic choice. I'll tell you what, Everton would take Ollie Watkins in a heartbeat, mate.
3: We'll see what plays out in this two weeks left of the window. You know, because I don't think Ollie Watkins likes playing second fiddle at the moment. I think he's had his confidence hit as well. Did a bit, Like I've told you before, we joined on air. Watkins Hyder, a finishing specialist over the summer. He's not hes not—he's not happy with that side of his game. He's been Villa's top scorer for the last two seasons. 14, the previous year, 11 last season. But he misses too many chances, if you ask the, the Villa fan base. Misses too many one-on-ones. But he gets in the areas. I think Everton, if you're looking for a striker, obviously with Calvert-Lewin's injury, conversations could happen. Lampard could promise him, you will be my main man here. You know what I mean? It's... It could be tempting. So I think only Rocky is one to watch.
2: Yeah. What, what what I was going to say, Peter, just quickly, I was actually going to just interject on Everton because I, I was also at um, Everton's game against Chelsea on Saturday. And just to back up what Ashley said, you know, the, the fans are 100% behind Lampard. You know, they really, really think Lampard gets the club and is a great asset. But, you know, that goodwill only goes so far. And what Everton need between now and the end of the window is to try and sort out somehow they're striking issues. You know, they've let Richardson go um, through financial need because they're trying to get back some of the money that, as I think it was, I think you quite rightly referenced, has been blown over these last five or six years of series rain, half a billion pounds. Um, but they need, they need to sort that out. Rich, uh, richardson has gone. Dominic Carvalhoen is injured. And I think that injury might be I mean, I don't want to jinx him, but I think that might be a little bit more serious than, than maybe the club is letting on. So that'll be a while. And they they tried Anthony Gordon as a false nine against Chelsea, and it just did not work. I mean, it just did not work. And not surprisingly, because he can't play as a false nine. Um, so they, they, I mean, so so the bottom line is, I agree completely. Anana came into the um, into the into the stands got a fantastic reception on Saturday. Um, you only hear good things about him. Obviously, you've seen more of him than I have, but anyone who's watched him at Leeds says an extremely exciting player. So that's good, but they need strikers. Simple as that. They need goal scorers um, if they're going to avoid what they had last season, which was a season of struggle.
0: Yeah, and almost ended in relegation. Um, yes. Obviously, one of the players that they did lose, who you mentioned there, uh, their talisman in a way, uh, Richarlison, looks all the worse now that that um, Dominic Calvert Lewin's been injured. I, w- I want to go to his, to his new club. Actually, um, what a result last week! I mean, Southampton are going to struggle this year. I, I, I albeit I, I, I think they're going to be in and around the bottom five at least. But a good statement from from Antonio Conte from Spurs from Kulusevski in particular, Ashley. Um, I don't know I think they're going to be outsiders for the title this year I think Liverpool you know that opening day draw against Fulham they have their vulnerabilities we mentioned Haaland's injury problems if a gap opens for a Leicester City style 2016 run it's going to be Spurs in my book that's going to that, that could upset the apple card. what do you think? 100%
3: they've got, we've got firepower up front now Richarlison is on the bench for them they've got a really good front three I like Romero a lot and End of the day, Peter, they've got a really good manager. who's had a really good go at it as well. Recruitment's been solid. And they've got got, got a squad to, to go and compete now in Man City, Liverpool for me. I think they're running really close as well. Um, so, yeah, they've got all the tools necessary to, to, to mount a title charge. I'm in your camp. I really am. They've got goal scorers. Yeah, I, 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 I think they have a really strong season. I think the favourites finish third, and that's a given. So, um, mm-hmm. I think Conte have a good go at it for sure.
2: Yeah, they. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I was. They've got. you know, listen. You can't underestimate what a what a what a manager Antonio Conte is. You know, they've got. They've literally got someone. I agree with everything. He actually, says about the whole team. Listen, the team looks balanced. The squad looks balanced. You know, if you can have Richardson on the bench, you know, a fifty million pound player on the bench, it's not what Daniel Levy was about. You know, it looks like he he is. He has conceded. That they need to spend like that and on that type of squad player. For Antonio Conte, so I agree with everything. You know, Kuliseski is just a sensation. You know, he's been absolutely fantastic. You know, you wonder how come, you know, he he he's actually you know actually came on 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 a on a on what is a loan essentially. Fantastic. Other players that improved, players that he will improve. Ryan Sessignon. I mean, honestly, you know, here is a player who's going to be absolutely different class under Conte. Conte will have him fit, fit, absolutely fit, and fit. And there to make an impact. So he's got a great squad, but the most important thing as well is that you've got you've got a manager who can legitimately look Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola in the eye on the same level. He can cross swords with Klopp and Guardiola because before then, before he came, you know, you had these two guys, and they were they, they, they were. This is always Manchester United's problem. They haven't had a manager, you know, who has been able to actually compete with them on that same elite level. Spurs have got one. You know, spares have got one of, of 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 the clubs that are. You know, spares have got one. Listen, Chelsea have got one, and 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 that was shown when Chelsea when they beat City in the Champions League. You know, and it's it's absolutely fascinating. It's it's just the great, as you say, Peter. It's just the great, great added thread to this season. The Tottenham, by the looks of it, and listen, it was only by a little bit of, I wouldn't say fortune, but the way things worked out that they've still got Harry Kane here But now Harry Kane will be, re, re, you know, revitalized by this. I, I mean. Don't rule out a, a new Harry Kane contract anytime soon just to just to give the whole place another lift. And if they could, if they could, and it's going to be a big ask, but if they could you know, make it a, a big three rather than a big two, it would be a huge flip for this season.
1: Literally, it's actually all music to my ears because even though I am a Chelsea fan, I'm just a football lover. Given all of these names, you've got Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Antonio Conte, Thomas Tuchel, all battling it out for that big prize. And they haven't been shy of saying that they want the Premier League. You know, they haven't been shy of saying that's the that's kind of the aim. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel has been a bit apprehensive. So he doesn't really know where he stands at the moment, but we all know they're all going for that big prize. And even though it looks like it's cities to lose, Antonio Conte, he is probably one of the most... Underrated managers out of those four because he can really sneak up behind you without you knowing and snatch that title from anyone. I'm not going to say Tottenham's going to win a title because to all our listeners who are listening, you're probably thinking Spurs are probably going to bottle it at any point. Any point coming soon, but we listen, we never know and. It was literally an, an exciting opener to the Premier League. Everyone who we thought we'd win thought would win had one, um, apart from probably Aston Villa, sorry Ashley, but probably but, but Aston Villa and obviously Liverpool drawing to um Fulham as well. But we're in for another treat this weekend and hopefully we'll be back next week with a couple more interesting bits and bobs to go through. Obviously, I'm Anita me. I host this with Peter Staunton and Andy and Ashley. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you make sure you keep an eye on social media. Make sure you get involved in a conversation with us. If if I said something that you don't agree with, let me know. Hit me up. Let me know. Let's talk about it. But yeah, <laughs> we'll see you guys next week.